immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 86, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell. My guest today, sound designer with Autograph in the UK, Luke Swarfield, and sound designer and lead developer at Innovate Audio, Daniel Higgert. Dan, Luke, welcome to the podcast again. Please tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into audio slash spatial audio. Uh, Dan, do you want to go first? Hi, it's really nice to be here. Thank you for having us. My background is as a theatrical sound engineer and sound designer. I've been working in the industry for probably 20 years now. And in that time, I've worked um, in quite a variety of roles. I started off in theater and I've worked in live events and musical theater. And more recently, uh, I was worked, did a quite a lot of work um, in immersive theater as well, alongside uh, Luke, who's also on the call here. We worked together um, primarily for a immersive theater company here in the UK called Secret Cinema and did quite a few projects. And Luke still works with Secret Cinema quite a lot. Um, these were immersive theater projects uh, catering to around 900 or 1,000 uh, customers a night. And we'd create uh, these big immersive worlds based on uh, very popular movies. So we created uh, the Moulin Rouge Club as part of the Moulin Rouge film or Romeo and Juliet. We created the whole kind of environment of Romeo and Juliet in a big field in West London, in a big park in West London uh, for about 5,000 people a night. We've covered Blade Runner, Casino Royale, so big franchise films that we would create immersive worlds for and the audience could turn up to these worlds and be completely immersed in the, uh, in the, in the world and in the, in the film and they'd come into character and they'd meet characters from the film and at the end of the night they'd watch the film. And my work in this field, working as Luke's associate primarily, was... Um, sort of instructed me really and showed me um, a bit of a gap in the market um, for in the spatial audio world uh, when it came to uh, spatial audio solutions for live sound. Um, and primarily the, the gap that I saw was that we'd be creating these, these worlds and uh, working uh, you know, primarily in sort of warehouses in East London and we'd, we'd just be up against time pressures constantly. So um, we would be working over lunch breaks where we'd have a bit of a quiet uh, moment and we'd be working really up against the moment where we'd first have the cast um, onto site. And it just became impossible to, to work with, you know, spatial audio solutions in those kind of timeframes because the solutions that were available on the markets um, were just too sort of complicated and tricky to set up. And we just never quite used them as a, as a solution in, a, in our circumstances. And the other elements of um, spatial audio solutions that were out there at the time was, you know, we were working with very bespoke 
um, sound systems. You know, we were hiding speakers behind plant pots and in windows and dressing them into sets. And so we didn't have, you know, the concept of a stage or, um, you know, a central point of focus. The the audience were completely in the middle of these these sets and, um, you know, we'd, we'd just have speakers dotted around where we could. And there wasn't really a solution that we could use at the time where you could you could have these really kind of wacky, you know, sound systems of where, you know, where we could actually put hide speakers. Um, and so led me to the point where I was like, why don't I uh, create something that kind of ticks those two boxes? And that's where that's where my my journey into spatial audio really began was was trying to find a solution uh, for those problems. Perfect. And we'll certainly come back to that in just a moment. Luke, over to you. Uh, why don't you tell us about your journey into audio? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, Dan's just stolen, uh, stolen, stolen a lot of it. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I've uh, I've sort of worked in professional audio uh, for about about eighteen, twenty years, uh, and I've been uh, um, autograph sound uh, here in London um, for about fifteen years now. Uh, initially, uh, I worked in the warehouse and then in the digital department there, for ultimately stepping over into the design department, uh, where I still am today. And uh, yeah, I've worked on a variety of uh, different kind of uh, theatre productions, musicals, plays, uh, events. As Dan said, in uh, about 2016, um, I started getting involved in the murky world of immersive theatre, uh, initially for a company called uh, Secret Cinema. And since then, I've kind of gone on to work with with a lot of other uh, companies um, around the world, uh, creating uh, kind of immersive and experiential um, site-specific uh, pieces of theatre. Um, and, you know, taken taken Dan along for the ride on many of those productions, um, being sat there by my side, trying to deliver uh, these uh, crazy, crazy immersive worlds. Autograph is a really well-known company especially here in the uk can you give us a little bit of a overview of what the company is about just for a benefit of our listeners uh, yeah autograph uh, was founded by sound designer andrew bruce uh, back in uh, 50 years ago uh, 50 years ago this year back in 1973 um we're primarily a theater sound company uh, that's our kind of staple that's our bread and butter we do a huge number of shows in the west end uk tours international tours in europe uh, we're a team of designers and engineers based in north london we also uh, have a very exciting events department who do a large number of sort of corporate and, uh, you know, brand activations and uh, events like that. And a sales and installations team um, who, uh, you know, work particularly uh, on new installation permanent projects, new venues, uh, new theatres, uh, educational establishments. Yeah, it's an exciting time. Dan, can we talk about Innovate Audio, the company you co-founded with your brother, Oscar? A really interesting, uh, inspiring story. Obviously, you've already given us a bit of an overview of what motivated you to start working on certain solutions, but why don't you give us a bit more overview? Innovate Audio is two people. It's myself and my brother, Oscar. My background is in live events as a sound engineer and designer, and also as a software engineer. And Oscar's background is a physicist. He's a quantum physicist that specializes in quantum error correction. So we've got two very different, but actually ultimately complementary skills. And it's been a complete joy being able to work with him and fuse these two sets of skills together to create these products. Oscar is the brains behind the algorithm, the spatial algorithm. And, you know, the, the whole concept of, of PanLab and developing the spatial audio solution with the five-minute setup comes from my experience in live events. And it's actually been an amazing challenge and reward in starting a company. It's something that I never dreamed that I would do. It's not something that's particularly in my nature. I like 
essentially making things louder. Um, and the, the challenge, the challenges are that we're a tiny team of people, but the rewards are that we, we don't have teams of managers that we need to run ideas past before we can get them developed. We don't have venture capital, uh, people who are demanding infinite, you know, sales rises. Um, we've got a niche product that, um, is exciting to people like me, which is really nice. And it's being used in lots of cool places. And if, you know, designers come to me with an idea of how they want things changed or developed or, you know, a new feature, I can work on them straight away. If it feels like that is the right direction from the products, I can essentially expend the resource of my personal time to develop features, which, you know, I've done a lot with Luke and with a lot of other users of, of PanLab over the years. Um, and it's very rewarding, you know, seeing products being used in, in lots of really amazing spaces. You know, PanLab, our QLab companion app uh, has been used, at, you know, the National Theatre in the UK, Cirque du Soleil, the Sydney Opera House, um, the Metropolitan Opera in New York, uh, all over the West End by, you know, Olivier and Tony award-winning sound designers. And also equally, it's a, it's a piece of software that's used a lot in, in universities because it's so easy to use. You know, students can get started in working with immersive audio you know, very easily by watching a few, you know, 15-minute tutorial videos. So it's been a fantastic journey of, of having this idea and and having it out there in the world in all sorts of amazing productions and giving you know students and you know creative sound designers and composers their first taste of working with spatial audio so it's been it's been quite a journey over the last few years Both of you coming from live sound industry where you would often use the audio tools real time, including applications such as QLab. So let's talk about the portfolio of tools that you've designed to expand on that workflow and importantly to allow a spatial audio rendering. So PanLab and PanLab Console are two macOS applications. They're spatial audio processors and renderers. And the key thing about these two pieces of software as a product is that they actually render the spatial audio um, onto third-party software and third-party hardware. So um, instead of the traditional way of rendering spatial audio, which might be to output audio from a mixing console into some kind of hardware spatial audio processor that will essentially render those inputs onto a set of outputs, PanLab Console is a piece of software that does the maths of that rendering. So the algorithm does the maths of how you would want to route the, um, those inputs to those outputs. But we don't actually handle the audio directly within PanLab console or within PanLab. So um, for example, the original product, PanLab, essentially just um, added spatial audio functionality to QLab. Uh, we do that by allowing, uh, essentially updating uh, QLab audio queue uh, levels for the audio queue to uh, queue output levels. So we're applying an amplitude-based panning algorithm uh, directly to your QLab queues. Um, with our newest product, which is PanLab Console, we take that same concept of applying our algorithm to um, add spatial audio functionality uh, to 
third-party hardware in this case, and we're adding spatial audio functionality uh, directly to mixing consoles. So again, so our, our software, so our macOS app uh, that's running on a computer somewhere doesn't actually directly handle any of the audio. Um, what we're instead doing is sending control data to the mixing console. So um, as an example of what we might do, say you had a, an input channel on the console, that would be your input into the spatial audio renderer, essentially. But if you would imagine that input had, uh, in an example, four auxiliary send levels, uh, they'd go out to speakers one, uh, two, three, and four. Essentially, what we do is we, we kind of ask our algorithm, you know, this is where the object is in the panner, and therefore, um, how, how do you want to route those input channel to auxiliary send levels? So we can do that at a very high data rate because uh, modern mixing consoles can, can handle, you know, being asked to do lots of different things at the same time, which is kind of a key piece of technical development that's happened in the background uh, just by third-party manufacturers. And it's where we are today with the, the you know, the advanced state of audio technology in, in, in the live sound field. Um, and it, that ability to do that and uh, talk to mixing consoles through sort of communication protocols allows us to essentially add spatial audio rendering functionality directly to mixing consoles uh, just purely through control data. And there's a number of Big advantages to doing that. Firstly, it's a lot safer. You're not routing your audio through another piece of hardware that's another point of failure. You know, the worst thing that could happen is if your computer loses power and you lose that uh, piece of software, PanLab, your, essentially your objects won't go anywhere for a while until you boot it back up again. So um, it's uh, not adding any additional hardware. We've actually fundamental to uh, the design is that concept of a five minute setup process. So you can work very quickly. Um, and that sort of comes from my background in sort of live sound where I'm very used to working in environments where, uh, you know, um, you, you've got to just grab five minutes tea break when the caster are out of the building for a minute uh, to, to, you know, to replot something that the director's asked you to replot. And the only time to do that is, is when everyone's off on a break. Um, so, you know, fundamental to the product is the ability to work very quickly. And so again, you know, not having to route everything through a, a spatial processor speeds that up. Um, and, Finally, I suppose it's cheaper as well. You know, these spatial processors um, that are on the market now, you know, they could cost tens of thousands of pounds. And all of these individual elements, it's the cost, it's the speed of the setup, it's the need for dedicated processors. It's stripping that all away to basically give um, the possibility of using spatial audio to a whole new section of the live events market. Um, because if you think about any other product that has been created uh, for live events, there's something at every uh, market level. But if you think about spatial audio, um, a lot of the, the big products that are available on the market at the moment are really only um, marketed and produced with the very highest end events um, in in mind, where you might you know have that time for that extra day's worth of pre-production where you can have 
uh, a crew of, of however many people deploying um, a spatial rendering solution. So it's about making spatial audio available to a much wider section of the uh, live events industry. Uh, yeah, that's a really key thing, as, as Dan said, in, in these kind of site-specific world, we're forever compromised on the speaker positions that we can do because of the nature of the building, the nature of the set. Um, and, you know, we're not 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 being confined to any standardized layout or whatever and um you know and the, the speed is is so good i remember when i when i first started um using the very early feature of of, of pan lab there were various things i was doing in terms of moving audio and spinning stuff around that i just wouldn't have bothered to do because it would have taken me hours to make all those individual fake cues in qlab and suddenly within two minutes you can be up and running in what you know a really non-standard format i think it was just a, a quad system with four speakers in the middle of the room you know and i could you know suddenly spin stuff around in 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 seconds i think for me i've worked with dan um since since he created the very first panel album we, we beta tested it um for, for me that the real key uh thing with panel Lab is that now i can think visually um so you know particularly when i'm doing you know these these um site-specific shows it's not uncommon for me to have maybe three different q lab stations uh sat there all running 64 outputs and to suddenly not have to think, okay, if I want that sound to come from here, that's, you know, output 5, 12, and 62, um, to just go, to just draw a picture of it and to go there. And then, um, you know, the, the the speed at which, uh, you know, to be able to draw movement and stuff like that, you know, if we were to, you know, want to take a sound and spin it around the room, say, if we would have to draw hundreds of fake cues in QLab to get that to feel smooth. Whereas, in fact, with PanLab, I can just literally draw a path set the timing away we go obviously it's not that common maybe that you want to pan sound around the room but particularly uh, one of the shows that we beta tested um i think it was pan lab three on might have been pan lab two actually which we uh, which was secret cinemas bridgerton um a couple of years ago you know we had sounds quite literally following the actors into the space it was the the queen queen charlotte walking into the space and their theme followed them up the corridor across the whole site through into the space that, you know, if we were to do fake use on QLab would have taken us quite a long time. But in PanLab, you know, it took us probably less than 30 seconds to uh, to, to just draw in that path. And to say the key thing was that we could just think about where we wanted the sound to come from by looking at a site map rather than thinking, okay, well, if we want it to sound like it's coming from that end, we need to read it to this speaker, this speaker, and that speaker. You know, Pan Labs now actually, even in, you know, for want of a better expression, conventional theatre, you know, standard end on prosarch, Pan Labs become a kind of real, you know, become a real staple in my audio toolkit now. Because again, I can sit there in the rehearsal room and go, well, I want it to come from this part of the stage. Um, don't have to think about what speakers are there because, you know, the the algorithm and the maths on Panel Lab happens there within the software. If when you get on site, as always happens, you have to move some of those speakers around because there's a light in the way or, you know, the set designers put a bit of set in the way or whatever. You can move it around on, on Panel Lab and then Panel Lab will rework out the maths um, and sort of fix it to the position that you want it to come from, even though maybe your speakers have ended up in a different different place to where you wanted them to be. Let's talk about the this bespoke algorithm that you and your brother Oscar have developed? The bespoke algorithm is really central to that kind of five-minute setup and the ease of use. What we're trying to do with the algorithm is work out a few things for the user. So one of the key things that we're trying to compute, essentially, mathematically, is the relationship between all of the speakers on the panel. So you as a user, when you, when you start adding speakers um, into the program, you, you, you give us a, a clue as to the relationship between these speakers by adding them into a zone. And once you've told us um, how these speakers are grouped into zones, we can work out essentially 
the geographical center of the zone based on uh, where you've placed them in the panel, and therefore we can work out the relationship between all of the speakers in the zone. Yeah, so the really nice thing about having created the algorithm from scratch is that we can get it to, um, to work out relationships between speakers and and you know change it and develop it as a team to to really mold it to the needs of the live sound community in terms of the ease of use the ease of the setup um and how you know you're talking about you know, sort of these immersive experiences where you don't have necessarily evenly spaced out speakers or you know standard room configurations you know we can we can make the algorithm do things like you know, being able to move a sound up and down a corridor, for example, and create long, elongated spatial environments or, you know, wacky kind of configurations where you've got a few speakers really close to each other and then another couple of speakers spread out um, around a piece of set, for example. Uh, we can create the algorithm together to um, basically fulfill the needs of those applications um, where in a, in a way that sort of hasn't particularly been addressed before uh, by some of you know the other solutions that are out there. From your perspective, Dan, describing these features and the functionality, you know, where where do you see those sort of solutions solving the the problems and bottlenecks and inconsistencies uh, when you're um, out there in the field actually doing the work? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, uh, I've given Dan a huge, huge list of uh, feature requests <laughs> to be put in. No, yeah, I mean, I, gu I guess for me, you know, what, what's been really great about about Panlab is is the um, the speed of the workflow and how easy it is to understand. But yeah, I think um, you know, already uh, been chatting with Dan about various um, things, particularly in terms of remote controlling it, because uh, I say, particularly working on site specific shows. You know, it's not possible to have an operator in every location. So we're automating a lot of the microphone levels. You know, it is a bit of a put it at zero, hope for the best. So, you know, being able to use Panlab to do a lot of that automation, it's really exciting. It's, you know, supported on the QL and the CL range of consoles, supported on the next 32, which gives you a spatial audio render for like 1200 quid, I think. Uh, you know, but, you know, as Dan's increasing the number of products um, that uh, Panlab console could work with, I think is really exciting. I think I'm really excited about, um, you know, uh, again, on the site specific shows, it, it's not uncommon for me to have a sort of 200 by 200 matrix um you know because of all the individually driven loudspeakers across the site so you know the idea about it being able to, to control much larger processors um you know such as qsys such as the new dme from yamaha is is really exciting and you know it's also uh interesting to see um you know where dan goes with, with further further console integration you know whether um you know dan not to cause you too much more work, but you know whether you can open it up to to support Digico SD consoles, for example, the larger range of uh, you know the the larger Yamahas, Rivage, DM or PM7. I can I'm rubbish with product codes. What's really great is is also you can kind of um, you can kind of pick and choose. Uh, you know you can choose which inputs and which outputs are affected uh, by Panlab. Conventional Panlab with QLab, you can choose which cues you put in Panlab, which cues you just route the audio. And you know it's the same with the console. You know you might not want all your microphones to go through Panlab, for example. You might you might be choosing to just use panel lab for some effects or or you know maybe there's just you know one one character uh who who you want to move around with panel lab and just just the one channel or you might want to do all all as many inputs as your console support uh but yeah uh, it's exciting and it's it's about kind of building tools that are, are useful in these workflows so 
Luke's just described that really nicely. But another thing that I really wanted to build into it um, is the ability to sort of change the timing of stuff. So, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, Queen Charlotte walking in, or maybe the director wants that all to happen over 30 seconds rather than 20 seconds. And it's about the, giving the user ability to just really quickly just change that timing and and reorganize all of that so it, it happens slower, but with the same, you know, speed changes of movement. And it's about knowing what the customer, what the user wants, um, because that that's my background and that's that's where I've come from, and kind of building just those specific tools into the product. So it's it's simple and it's easy to use, but it's also um, it's powerful in the ways that you that you need it to be powerful. And then, of course, the director will realize that actually it needed to happen in 25 seconds. And then you do it all again. <laughs> <laughs> but that takes, that takes you know, 10 seconds of work rather than half an hour of, of messing around with sort of fade cues and, um, and the rest of it. Touched on the um, a number of problems that you're solving with your tools currently, but um, what do you believe is still missing and what can be improved? Is it something that can be part of your future roadmap for development? The product that I'm... I'm really um, doing a lot of development on at the moment, and is you know is the one we've just released, which is PanLab Console. So, um, first of all, just in terms of where we got to when we started thinking about PanLab Console, is one of the problems that the original PanLab didn't really solve at all was working with live audio in the sense of actual live audio. So we were working with sound effect design, um, and you could do a little bit of live audio through QLab with with what are called mic cues. Um, but in terms of actual real live raw audio, it wasn't what the tool was designed for. And so um, with that in mind, um, we've basically developed this new product, which is PanLab Console, which is um, takes the kind of PanLab concept, which is applying spatial audio to other products, so to, to QLab, but we apply the spatial audio functionality directly to mixing consoles. So essentially, we're just as we added spatial audio functionality to QLab, where it was missing, um, with PanLab Console, we add that same functionality to mixing consoles. So um, you could be working with a Yamaha QL series console or a CL series or an M32 or an X32 console, and you can now essentially render that spatial audio directly in the console. So you can work with live audio, live inputs. It could be a band. Uh, it could just be uh, the microphone from your, your performer that you want to process live. Well, the hope is that this, this new product really um, covers that base where that was that was missing from from the original PanLab series. It's um, it's a different market. And now it's just an interesting time to be creating this because um, what I'm finding is that, um, you know, we need to cover the whole uh, signal flow, the whole, you know, production process from your sound designer working in Pro Tools, for example, um, and rendering out, you know, stereo mixes uh, to send off to their director or or, or whoever as a kind of um, a pre-visualization or pre-audioization, I guess you could say, um, to then delivering that in a kind of bespoke immersive environment. So, um Panel console is, you know, it's just launched. It's it's on version one currently, and that means that I've got a huge list of of enhancements that I want to make to that product um, because we've just got it got it out the gates, and it's really exciting to be hearing from designers and engineers who are excited about um, using it for the first time. And part of that is working out what people's needs are. And so one of the things that you know we're actively working on at the moment is, as an example. Um, a plugin to use with digital audio workstations so that you can essentially control the position of objects from 
from within the workstation and automate the positioning of objects from within the workstation and then render it out using PanLab console. So that's on the kind of input side of things. And on the output side of things, at the moment, we're supporting just pure mixing consoles. So, you know, the typical mixers that you'd see at a gig. But I think the really interesting um, path forward is also supporting uh, processors. So it could be a QSYS processor or the new Yamaha DME processor, where I can actually um, interact with, you know, flexible architecture processors and, you know, individual elements of those processors that the user has set up and essentially turn those devices into spatial processors. So, uh, so yes, I mean, I've got a huge... Um, a huge list of ideas and of places to take things forward. And um, it's uh, the exciting thing at the moment is is working out where to to devote my time to that and where the where the need is on the on the live audio side. Are there any trade-offs that you had to make in order to make software so quick and easy to use? Yeah, absolutely. And actually it's the trade-offs that um, I find really interesting as a developer. You get customers come to you and sort of go, oh, I, I need this sort of quirky thing. And sometimes it's a no-brainer. So, for example, Luke was just working on um, a show and uh, he needed um, to be able to essentially set a level and have the, the sound um, the sound level of that object change from one level to another level. That's a no-brainer for me because I can deliver that feature and it could just be like an extra argument in an OSC address. So it's not something that needs to get in the way of what 90% of, of users want because they don't even need to necessarily know it exists. But if someone goes out and looks for it in a support document, they can find out, oh yeah, great, I can just essentially just fade from whatever the value is that I don't need to care about at the point of programming through to this set value over this number of seconds. And it's, and it's literally just an extra argument in an OSC address that someone can add in. Um, so that's, you know, there's some things that people kind of ask you about in it, and that's, uh, you know, a very easy answer. But in terms of trade-offs, there's hundreds of trade-offs. Let's think back even just to the basics of the algorithm. So this is purely amplitude-based panning. So Something that people ask me about all the time is like, oh, can we can we essentially add delay to the to the panning algorithm? And it's something that you know I've thought about, but there are a few reasons why I don't really want to do that. And primarily one is that sort of five minute setup. And as soon as you put a time base into a spatial algorithm, you need to know you know, the exact positions of all your speakers. And just the process of knowing that and inputting that data just suddenly adds, you know, an hour of time to the setup. That's a trade-off. And there are some solutions out there that do that very well. And um, they're absolutely brilliant. But that's not what I'm trying to achieve with this particular piece of software. So it's just about knowing, having a very clear definition of, of what you're trying to achieve and who you're trying to achieve it for and getting rid of the noise. Um, and so that's from a feature point of view. And then from a user interface point of view, it's the same. It's, it's, you know, it's hiding a lot of that stuff away. You know, if I can avoid having a button for something that's just always displayed to the user, it's about just having that kind of clean slate of, of interface where um, you're clearly demarking where, um, where you go for some things, where you go for a feature, where do you click, you know, where do you select your objects? Where do you, you know, where, where, where in the interface you always, you know, move to, to, to change the level of an object or change the position of the object or, or whatever it is. It's about stripping away that, that complication, um, 
and just allowing it only to be discoverable when when the user just naturally needs to to access that feature. Just a very basic example, you know, you can draw a vector path um, of, of any object in any of the um, versions of PanLab. You can draw a vector path, and as you draw that path, you're recording position data of the position of mouse as you uh, draw the path around. Uh, but you're also recording the timing information of how long it took your mouse to move around the screen as you were kind of clicking and dragging the object. And cleared up the interface in terms of like if you wanted to retime that. Um, now, you know, it's got a duration time that's, you know, displayed next to that path. And you're, you know, if you click on that and change that time, then you're presented with some options in terms of do you want to change that time and change it so it's a constant speed of movement, if you want it to change proportionally, you know, so it's it's about hiding away those those options to the user until such a moment that they they need to be asked that question. Excellent. Let's switch the gears and talk about something a little bit different, uh, although still related. Luke, can we talk about some of the more notable commercial case studies where these tools were deployed? For instance, uh, Peaky Blinders in the Middle East. Uh, so we took Mercer Show that I'd worked on uh, here in London, which is uh, Peaky Blinders The Rise, uh, it's produced by Mercer for Everywhere. Uh, we were asked to take that out to the Middle East uh, as part of a, a big uh, esports uh, festival that was happening over there. And one of the things in terms of, because it was a short run, we had to uh, make several changes to the design based on purely what equipment was available in the territory. Um, and whereas in London, uh, the show was, uh, the backbone of the show was two Yamaha DME 64s. In the Middle East, we had to uh, change those for four uh, QL1 consoles. Um, and uh, it also happened that at that time, uh, Dan was uh, in development of PanLab consoles. So it seemed like perfect opportunity to uh, to take our PanLab usage on that show a little bit further. So yeah, so we uh, we took uh, we took a beta version of uh, PanLab console as it was uh, at that time to control all the different microphones on the show, which... Um, Turned out actually to be an absolute uh, blessing because um, whereas in uh, when we did the show in London we were in a we were in a found space we had big thick hundred year old stone walls um, at the old uh, in the Camden Market stables in the Middle East we were working with uh, standard scenic flats um, so we found we had to localize everything a lot lot more because we'll see with all the spaces were, de- were basically in one so uh, it was actually really handy uh, having PanLab to sort of control that localization of the microphones for us. Um, and it also allowed us to, um, you know, to grow the sounds. And, you know, we started using um, the position of the microphones alongside the level of the microphones to, you know, grow them when they needed to take over the whole space and to localize them when it was just a single song in the corner. And, you know, all through the time, I mean, um, I think, um, you know, Dan, Dan was spitting us out different versions on a daily basis as we were asking for new new features to come in and, you know, and improvements to the UI and stuff like that. And as uh, Dan alluded to earlier, one of the big things that he put in for us was, uh, was a kind of um, being able to change the levels over time by a single OSC string. Because, you know, if you were to fade an OSC value on QLab, uh, you have to fade it from value X to value Y, whereas we could just send a OSC to, to PanelLab to say fade to value X and obviously it knew where, where it was already. Uh, and therefore could could do that that fade over over three seconds um so yeah that was the kind of big uh big first time that we took uh that we took panlab console out uh earlier this year um and in terms of um you know panlab 3 we we've used that certainly on all the uh, big immersive shows that i've done pretty much since dan first started writing it again a big been a been a real uh time saver for us in terms of being able to um you know, not only, you know, it's not just, you know, we keep talking about whizzing sound and movement and stuff, but but actually 
Um, I'm using it a lot more than that in terms of just placing sounds and not having to think about the numbers uh, and to just think about on a site plan where do these sounds come from. But also, you know, the other side, what I found is it really, really useful for for collaboration because I think um, we as we as sound teams, particularly in theatre, kind of have a bit of reputation of just being uh, being nerds sat at the back of the stalls behind our laptop and no one, you know, everyone's a bit intimidated by all these computer screens and they don't really want to come and talk to us because no one really understands what sound is because you can't see it. Um, but actually, as soon as I sort of started working with Panlab and you know put a big picture of the set on my screen and I could talk to the director about, well, look, maybe if we have this sound coming from here and then, you know, we could grow that sound out and bring it more into the space at this moment to follow that journey of the character. It's been a, been a really, really exciting um, using it like that. Another uh, use case, uh, which I sort of touched upon earlier with uh, Panlab Free, I did a musical um, in town, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, the musical. I put the whole show through Panlab um, because it was a great way for me to sit in the rehearsal and just concentrate on where I wanted the sound to feel like it was coming from without having to think about where the speakers were what speaker it was coming out of i could just go i want it to come from here and then when i got into theater i could update the speaker positions based on where they'd been and, and actually it was one of the smoothest transfers i've had from a rehearsal room into into the space so yeah it's become a real um, staple part of my uh, audio toolkit i have to say combining probably you have several decades of experience working in industry uh, what are your thoughts on future of spatial audio in the life sound sector, convergence of technologies that's currently happening, specifically the wide accessibility for spatial audio solutions. I think it's a really exciting time. I think what's brilliant is there are so many different options now. And I think more and more, I guess, freedom is coming out in terms of not necessarily being confined by well, okay, to make this work, I have to have five speakers along the front of the stage and you know I have to have rear surround. I think more and more products are coming out it's like actually that's not always practical um and tools such as PanLab coming out that allow a bit more flexibility with that and allowing more you know people are getting more and more creative i think you know with how you can deliver um spatial audio and there's all so many different options and you know more and more options are being a bit brand agnostic now so you can kind of pick and choose the the right speaker for the job rather than being limited to to one single family of products so yeah i just think it's going to become more and more commonplace and i think people are discovering new ways to use it um and new ideas and even you know i've just seen some of the stuff that that like dan and innovate have shared of other people of how they've deployed panlab console that's a really good idea that i hadn't thought of doing that that's really cool i think that's exciting as more and more of these tools come out and it becomes more and more accessible it's just giving people more and more creative tools to try new things and to try new exciting things I think the the key thing for me is it's the kind of casual use of spatial audio is I, I think is is missing um, from the live uh, audio market. It's as Luke was saying, you know, um, maybe I've just got a production. I've just got one or two microphones that I want to spatialize for an effect, and it's giving those people the ability to use spatial audio where it just wouldn't be practical to to deploy, you know, a traditional spatial audio processor. It's about more creative uses of spatial audio, you know, from more creative people. It's 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 a lot of the products that are out there at the moment are very technical. And what I love is, um, for example, I could have a composer who's also a sound designer who doesn't really have a, a doesn't really have a, a massively technical background, but might be, you know, an absolutely brilliant composer. And that person who doesn't, you know, think in terms of, um, you know, uh, the, the maths of of how you how you'd move sounds around can essentially mix their music. Um, in you know, in a in an immersive audio gallery, and you know, can experience the kind of joys of working with spatial audio 
for the first time and they just wouldn't have access to that. And so it's, yes, it's about empowering um, people to be able to use spatial audio um, in environments and in situations where it just wouldn't be possible. And it's also the, you know, the kind of exciting things that I see in, in spatial audio at the moment are the kind of more playful tools. So I, um, I listened to an episode um, of this podcast, you know, with um, Nuno Fonseca and, you know, sound particles and, you know, the space controller where you can, you know, just point your phone at a location and you can move um, you move the sound to that location. Or there's obviously the Mimu gloves, um, who are actually, which actually have been created by um, a friend of mine, um, is actually one of the developers behind the Mimu gloves. And it's, you know, it's that, you know, that ability to kind of just literally throw sounds around the room with, with, with some gloves that are essentially, you know, spatial controllers. So it's, it's integrating with other solutions like that, that are, are just really fun and just fun ways of working. And it's about allowing uh, the sort of designers who who wouldn't want to add that extra technical complication because that's not their area of expertise and allowing them to work with spatial audio. And it's about, yeah, just allowing projects to, to use spatial audio where um, they're just, it would never be the justification um, for, for processing everything through spatial audio for just that one or two effects. So that's the kind of thing that um, is really interesting to me um, as a developer of a spatial audio tool. What is the best way to find out more about yourselves and the work you do? Um, yeah, best way uh, would be to uh, look at the Autograph website, autograph.co.uk. Lots of stuff there about the the, the projects I'm involved in, the projects that uh, my colleagues and we as a company are all involved in as well. And uh, yeah, up and coming stuff as well. So you can find out more about PanLab and PanLab Console through our website, which is innovateaudio.co.uk. Uh, you can download both PanLab 3 or PanLab Console for free, and you can use both pieces of software with a seven-day free trial. Um, in the case of PanLab Console, it's always free to use offline, so you can build show files offline, you can name your channels, you can position your objects onto your soundscape, and you only need a license when you actually need to connect and output that spatial data to a mixing console. So that's really designed for people to work offline in pre-production and pre-visualize their sound design, and they just need a license at the point they actually want to mix in immersive uh, spatial audio. With PanLab, um, the QLab companion app, so PanLab 3 and PanLab 2, which we currently uh, still sell through the website, you can uh, rent a rental license for both pieces of software. The nice thing about uh, PanLab 3 and PanLab 2 is because they're essentially printing that spatial data to QLab, you don't actually need to run PanLab 3 during a performance because all of the spatial information is already just sort of preset and sent to the connected QLab workspace. So a rental license sometimes makes a lot of sense where you just need access to the software for that month during the production period. And then the show can run for as long as it likes. And you don't need actually a spatial renderer to be active every night on the show. There's no live spatial audio rendering that's taking place. It's all essentially happening in the box. With PanLab Console, it's a bit different because we're rendering the spatial data live because we're working with live audio. And that's why it's free to use offline, but you need a license to actually connect to the console because that piece of software is something that needs to live with the production and it needs to be live on the production every night. So it makes more sense for the production or the potentially the venue to own that license 
and essentially have it as part of their sound system, which is how it's being bought really at the moment. So yeah, so those are the options uh, for the software. You can find out all of that information and much more uh, through the website, innovateaudio.co.uk. What piece of advice could you give to anyone that helped you in your careers? Uh, <laughs> I'd say um, turn up on time with a smile on your face. Whatever you're doing, however bad it is, just if you're there to do the job, turn up on time, have a smile on your face, grin and bear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say uh, just don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, life is just full of, of learning. And the more that I've learned and been able to ask questions over the years, the more I've learned quicker um and so you know don't be afraid to ask a, a what you'd think might be a stupid question um and you know just um you know if, if something's um you know if something's not making sense to you just ask ask someone about it and uh, you'll probably learn something new dan luke thank you so much for the conversation today it's been a pleasure thank you very much thank you for having us if you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support please consider becoming a patreon not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash Immersive Audio Podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott, Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.